So we are one chapter away from being done with Joseph. Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are like, oh, no. Um, I'm like, we got to do it, <laughs> you know. We got to keep going. I mean, I, I, I've said from the beginning, God has impressed upon my heart that the, we need to go through this story of Joseph for whatever reason. God took his word and said he's, he's zoomed in on Joseph's life. And we saw not only Joseph and, and what has happened in Joseph's life, but we saw the, the life of Jacob and Jacob's family. Jacob's name becomes Israel. So this is the history of Israel is what we're talking about. We're talking about the history of Israel. And, and I want you to understand, and hopefully you'll see this today, is that, is that this picture permeates the Bible. It goes through. So for us to understand lots of things about God and lots of things about how God has orchestrated things and set them up, we have to understand a lot of stuff about Israel. Israel's not just a country, okay? I know that when we think of Israel right now, we think of, we, we, we think of, we think of Jewish people or we think of the country of Israel. I want you to understand that it started with this family. And, and we've been talking about how Jacob's family, Israel's family, is undergoing an extreme makeover, home edition. And that's the reason we called this series Extreme Makeover, Home Edition. I want you to understand how critical it is for us to grasp Jacob's family. And hopefully you'll see it today. Hopefully you'll be able to, to see just what God was doing. Sometimes, I, I, I know, look, I know it's complicated, all right? I know that it, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around Jacob, Israel, like his family, 12 tribes of Israel, all that kind of stuff. I hope and I pray that it, it kind of clears some things up for you today. That these sons of Jacob's, Jacob actually becomes the... the the tribes of Israel. That, that's what happens through Jacob's family. They become the tribes of Israel. And, and I hope you, you, you tune in to, to one message today, I guess. And, and that is that if I had to summarize today's message, and yes, I'll give you the punchline before I give you the story. Uh, if I had to summarize today's message, it would be this, that we have in our minds a concept, I guess is what I would call it, or, or, or uh, our minds are made up already that when God gives us a vision or God gives us a direction or God gives us a plan for our lives, that, that we will see that come to fruition just within our lifetime. That, that we will see it, see it happen and it, and it will end and it will finish before we die. Don't we have that mentality? God's promises are eternal. Aren't we so excited when we say that, that God's promises are eternal? When he promises salvation, what if it was just for this lifetime? That would really stink, right? That would, that would really, really stink if it was just, well, I'm just saved for this lifetime, but when I die, I don't know what's going to happen to me. But God's promises and God's, God's message is an eternal one. But why is it that when, when God gives us direction in our life that we immediately think, well, that must be just within my lifetime? Now, I must be the one that's going to see it come to completion. Have you ever thought about that? You know why we do that? I'm going to give you a little hint. This, this is going to blow your mind, all right? You're going to be like, Phew. you know what I mean? You know why we do that? We're impatient. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Chris just went, Phew. we're impatient. <laughs> You're like, no, not me, not me, Kenny. No, I ain't one of them. I am a very patient person. Liar. 
Liar. I know. I know look, <laughs> God's Word teaches me to be patient, all right? And I read God's Word, and I try to obey God's Word. I try to be obedient to God's Word and listen to the Holy Spirit as He transforms me. And I'm still working on that one, okay? I'm still a work in progress. The whole patience thing, uh, that's a struggle, right? <laughs> My godson said, that's a stroke. It's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to be patient, isn't it? Now, I know that when you make up your mind about, oh, I got one for you, buying stuff, buying a car, buying a house. How many of y'all are really patient when it comes to buying a car, buying a house? Let me tell you something. Salesmen love impatient people. <laughs> if you were a salesman in here, it's okay. I love you. But I know you love impatient people. You know what they go into the car lot saying? I got to have that car. You know when a salesman says, when you say, I got to have that car, he says, yes. Like dollar signs pop up in his eyes. He's like, yes, I got them. Hook, line, and sinker. They got to have that car. Like, that's one of the things my dad taught me early on. He's like, you don't need that car. You may need a car, but you ain't got to have that car, okay? Uh, uh, let, let me tell you, some of the biggest trouble we get in in our life is when we become impatient and we say, I got to have that, and I got to have it today, and I'm not leaving here without that car. Or you walk into a house. You walk into a house. This house has spoken to me. This is my house. It whispered in my ear, this is going to be your house. This is where you're going to live. And the real estate agent goes, the house spoke to you? All right. <laughs> well, good. I'm speaking to me too. <laughs> I got real estate agents in here going, man, you can't be talking this way. It's okay. I'm just telling you that sometimes we are impatient. I know I'm impatient, man. I know I struggle in the same way. Uh, my wife can tell you that I'm kind of impatient. Here's the thing. Here's, you know, we went to youth camp, and I just, I have to share with you. So God has transformed some lives, and, and, and God is still doing a great work in these students' life. But for me, I have to, I have to share kind of what I learned through this youth camp, too. So so now I'm the pastor. Previously on youth camps, I've been, the, I've been the youth pastor, youth leader, youth minister, whatever you want to call it. I was the guy, right? I was the youth guy. I don't know what you call that sometimes, but I was the youth guy. And when I went to camp, man, I was like, people would come to me and want to talk to me, and I would lead people to salvation, and I was like, I was kind of the guy that people came to. You know what I mean? Like, that was it. Well, what God has revealed to me now is we got a youth pastor. His name's Keith Wilson. He, he's, he's the youth guy now. And yes, I went to camp, and I was there to help Keith, but Keith's the guy now. And I, I told our kids on the last night, I'm, I'm like the granddaddy now. Yeah. Yeah. Why do y'all laugh at that? <laughs> I said that the last night of youth camp, and it erupted in laughter. I'm like, I don't even intend for that to be funny, but that's the second time. Everybody just busted out, ha, 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 that's hilarious. I don't know why I sound the granddaddy, and everybody goes, ha, 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 that's hilarious. I love that. I, I wondered if you guys would respond like they did when I said that. And sure enough, you sure did. The funniest, ha, ha, he's the granddaddy. Yeah, so anyway, so <laughs> I'm a little HD, ADHD, even though I'm a granddaddy. But anyway, so, 
So God just kind of impressed upon my heart that, that you got a different role now. That, that your job is a little different now. And my, my job is to, to kind of set up the framework and allow that stuff to happen within the framework. You know, as the pastor of the church, uh, we, we orchestrate youth camps and we allow them to go to camp and all that kind of stuff. And, and we have an environment for the students to come and worship in on Wednesday nights. And it, my, my role is a little different, okay? And, and God just had to kind of show me that, <laughs> beat me over the head with it, if you, if you want to call it that. But it just kind of had to reveal to me that it goes beyond me. I know, I know, like, well, Kenny, that sounds kind of selfish for you to have to realize that. But I think as people of God, sometimes we, re- we think that, that God's called us to do something, and God's called us to, to share the gospel and to do this and to do this. And, and, and I, I think that we lose sight of the fact that it is about a legacy that is eternal. It's not just about what you can do within your lifetime. You need to be pouring into other people so that those people can take the gospel to other places. And, and though I have tried to do that in my life, I don't think that I really came to grips with it until this trip. And I went, and I was looking, I was looking at Kayla leading worship, and, and she led a little mission project that we were doing, and she was standing up there, and she was, she was telling them all about Soul Hope and what it's about and what they were supposed to do in order to make shoes for kids in Africa that didn't have any. And then I see Keith up there, and, and he's speaking to the kids, and they're coming to him, and they're, they're talking to him about their struggles. And I go... And, and, and I mean, I looked at Kayla during the, the last night of worship, and I have got tears just streaming down my face. And I go, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It, it, I would be stupid to think that, that, that what I'm supposed to accomplish is just supposed to be within my lifetime. That would be ridiculous to think that. You see, you see, it's got to continue on. It, it can't just stop with me. If I get hit by a truck out there, somebody's got to continue carrying the message. And we've got to be pouring into other people such that they can take that message, that they can step up and be leaders and do the things that we were doing. And, and I, I'm not saying that I haven't felt this way for a long time, but I have felt this way. But really, sometimes you've got to be slapped in the face with it. And God's got to show you that, man, it's got to go beyond just you. And that's why these kids sitting right here are so important. That's why they're incredibly That's why the kids back there that my wife is teaching today, that's why they're so important. That's why they're so incredibly important because it has to extend beyond you. It has to go beyond you. And we see Jacob, we see Israel on his deathbed in chapter 49 of Genesis. And, and we see, I, and it's, it, look, there's some complicated stuff in here. I'll, I'll admit that. And it's hard to grasp sometimes, and I get that. But I want you to get the 30,000-foot the view, if you will. I want you to see beyond just like all the details and, and this and that. I want you to see the bigger picture here. We did a series not long ago called The Bigger Picture, and we just wanted you to see, like zoom out for just a second and see what's really going on. I, I had... I had a guy that was at youth camp with us. He was, they kind of led the, the, well, they didn't lead the camp, but they, they were kind of the, the administrators of the camp, and they, they kind of provided the place. They oversaw the facility that we were in and all that kind of stuff. And he was telling me about how it, God gave him a vision for what he was supposed to do in his life. And that was when he was 13 years old, and he was living in South Africa. 27 years later is when it actually came to fruition. Is when it actually happened. 
27 years later, he's, he's in Panama City, Florida. He thought he was supposed to be on a beach in South Africa. No, the vision God had given him was him preaching on a beach, but turns out that was Panama City, Florida. It took 27 years for him to get to that place that God had given him a vision for when he was 13. And, and he was talking about how, you know, God's got other plans for his life, and, you know, he doesn't know necessarily when his life's going to end. And I was like, and maybe he'll listen to this podcast, and, and, and maybe he'll, he'll hear what I have to say back to him as I've been thinking about it ever since I left there, and that is maybe it's supposed to extend beyond you. Maybe it doesn't really matter how long you live. What matters is how many people you pour into while you're here. Oh, that's crazy, Kenny. That's crazy. You know, you know, over and over again, the Bible talks about how our life is like just a breath. It's just a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. We don't know how long we have. Why don't we take the time that we have and pour into the people that are right here in our midst? And why don't we do what we can to make sure that they're the ones being raised up and they're the ones continuing the mission that we started? Because I believe that that's what God wants us to do. When God called me to start this church, I believe that one of the things he impressed upon my heart that I shared in the very first days of us having services at Simple Church was that this is supposed to be a, a, a legacy that was supposed to be left. Not just a, a church that was to be created, a church that was supposed to start something, but it was supposed to be transfor transformational for years and years and years and years. Beyond just our lifetime. Why is it that we think so much in terms of just our lifetime and, and we got to change that? We got to stop thinking that way. It's a little bit selfish for us to think that way, isn't it? We think it's about us. We think it's about what we can do in our lifetime. And, it, and God said, it, it, it may not be just what you accomplish in your lifetime, it may be your children, it may be your grandchildren that accomplished the goals that I, I first put in your heart. Have you ever thought about that? That maybe the reason that you're in Simple Church is because God is going to do something with your great-grandchildren? I mean, you, you really think that way? That, 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 that it will be accomplished when you're, you've been dead a long time. It's when it will actually happen. If you read this book, you see that a lot, by the way. If you read this book, you, you see that it, it, sometimes it doesn't happen within your lifetime. Uh, <laughs> Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations, right? He was probably like, when's that going to happen, Tuesday? No. It don't happen overnight. It takes hundreds of years. You know how old Noah was when it finally rained and the flood came? He was 600 that's the way to wait, you know? And we think, man, God's got to do something in the next 20 years. And God don't think that way. Moses, God said, you're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. When's that going to happen, God? Well, you're going to start it, but you'll never see the promised land. It's going to be 40 years of wandering around the desert. Like, what? Really? I'm telling you, we got to stop thinking just within the confines of our life. We got to look beyond that. We got to see the bigger picture. We got to expand our vision to eternity. And I know it's hard for us as human beings to wrap our mind around that. 
But if we were to have a heavenly perspective, which I talked to our students about our last night of camp, if we're to have a heavenly perspective, then we have to see things from an eternal perspective and not looking at things the way we look at them all the time. We've got to look at them the way God looks at them. So let's look at, at what happens in Genesis 49. I'm going to read some of this. I may not read all of it. Jacob's on his deathbed now. Joseph has promised to, to take him and bury him where his ancestors are born. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Jacob called together all the sons and gathered around and said, Gather around me, and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. I want you to understand Jacob is speaking under the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit here, that God is showing him some things and God is revealing some things to him. And we find out that all of this is true. Because we have hindsight and we can look back at the tribes of Israel and we can see what they accomplished and what they didn't accomplish. We can see that everything that Jacob says is true. And he says this to his sons, which will be the leaders of the tribes of Israel. He says, come and listen, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You're the first in rank and the first in power, but you are as unruly as a flood. And you will, know, you will be the first no longer. It gets crazy. Okay, hang on with me. For you went to bed with my wife. You defiled my marriage couch. I know, right? Everybody just went. What? Was it his mama? No, it was actually kind of like his stepmama. Yeah. He, he, look. Look, he, he was the firstborn. He was supposed to, he's supposed to inherit the stuff, man. He was supposed to be the leader of the family. He was supposed to be the, the patriarch once Jacob was gone. He lost that, that, that right. He, he lost the ability to do that because of what he had done. You, you think that, that what you do right now is not going to have a lasting effect? You, this, this is what people that struggle with alcohol and drug abuse always say. This is, this is their, their primary words. This has only affected me. Why are you so worried about what's going on with me? This is only impacting me. Can I tell you how many youth I have talked to over the years that talk about their moms and dads and their struggle with alcohol and drug abuse? And, it, and we say, it's only affected me. What's wrong with it, man? It's just affecting me. It's the lie of the enemy. It's, it's the perfect lie of the enemy. It's just you, man. Nobody, look, it ain't going to affect nobody else. It's just you. Same thing. Same thing right here. Like Reuben had, had done some bad stuff, and it's going to affect generations to come. It's going to affect the tribes of Israel as a result of what Reuben has done. He says, you're no longer, you're no longer in charge. You're no longer the patriarch of the family because of what you did. Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. Uh, they may never join in their meetings. Yeah, may I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger they murdered men and crippled an oxen just for sport. A, a, a curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. It will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. These two guys, you know what they did? These two brothers, they were like second and third in line. So like, okay, Reuben's out. We got second and third in line. And, and what's supposed to happen with them? 
Well, they would have been next up, right? They would have been next in command. So they would have been patriarchs of the family. No, 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 no. See, they got some stuff that they did that kind of took them out of the picture too. What did they do? You know what they did? This is going to kind of blow your mind a little bit. You know all they did? They, they wanted to enact revenge for what had been done to their sister. Sister had been raped, and they were just acting in revenge of that. And God said, no, 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 that disqualifies you. That disqualifies you. Some of us would like to enact some revenge. Some of us would like to take out some people that had hurt us, wronged us, and that's not God's way. And if you want to be a leader, oh, well, everybody's like, well, I don't want to be a pastor, Kenny. I don't even have any desire to be a minister. God's not called me to that. If you want to be a leader for your family, then you can't have that kind of revengeful attitude. You can't do it. It's going to disqualify you. If you have that bitterness, that rage, that malice, it's, it's going to disqualify you from being a leader in your family. You're going to struggle. You're going to, until, 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 until you do one thing. And that's what Judah does here. We read about Judah next. What did Judah do? We, we read about Judah in, in the previous weeks and, and how he was just as jacked up as the rest of his brothers. But the difference is, is that Judah repented. Repented. He understood what he did wrong. He confessed what he did was wrong. And because of that, God is able to use him. You mean it's all about repentance in order for God to be able to use me? Yes, that's what it's about. Yes, that's what it's about. And Judah repented, and he even took responsibility for his younger brother Benjamin. When Benjamin, they thought that Benjamin had messed up. And he told his father, he said, you know what, hold me accountable, and I'll take responsibility. And I'm going to bring Benjamin back to you. And then they thought Benjamin had done some stuff wrong. What does he do? He says to Pharaoh, take me into captivity. Make me a slave instead. He took ownership and responsibility for his place and his position as a child of God. He repented of the way he had acted before, and he just became that new person. He just lived in that new life and said, this is the person who I am now. Kenny, I want to be used of God. I want to be a leader in my family. I, I, I want to know how I can, I can be used completely for God. Repent and take responsibility. Repent of the way you used to be, the things you used to do, and take responsibility. That's crazy talk, man. Let's look at, let's look at how God's going to use Judah. This... this you're talking about crazy. This is crazy. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has, a, has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor will the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. Hang with me, okay? Hang with me for just a second. And the one whom all nations will honor. He ties his foal to a grapevine and the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Makes me sweat. 
okay? Let me tell you, I'll, I'll get there. I'll help you. We'll, we'll go through this together, okay? His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than milk. What is Jacob, through the power of the Holy Spirit, saying to Judah? What is he saying to him? He said that the, the scepter will not pass from you until it gets the one it's supposed to get to. Now, who, what descendants of Israel came out of Judah? Out of the family of Judah, you know what descendants came? Some guys like King David and Saul. Solomon, they're going to be the rulers. He says, all, all your brothers are going to bow down to you. All your brothers' children are going to bow down to you. Do you know who else came out of the line of Judah? A guy by the name of Jesus Christ. A descendant of the line of Judah. He's the one to whom the scepter belongs. Jacob is looking all the way forward through the power of the Holy Spirit, is looking all the way forward to Jesus Christ, who will be the ultimate king. And it's all because Judah repented and Judah took responsibility, and then he became the father of the nations, would end up bringing it, the Messiah into creation. Does that not blow your mind that God can use you in that way? Yeah, Judah was messed up, jacked up in all kind of ways. But he repented and took responsibility, and because of that, the Messiah himself came from the line of Judah. Do you, do you believe me? If you read Revelation chapter 5, there's a story in there about John being taken to heaven and shown like the end of the world. He's the end of the world is kind of revealed to him. In Revelation chapter 5, it gets to the point where he's in heaven and he's actually looking and they, they've got this scroll and the scroll is the deed to the earth and there's nobody that's worthy of opening that scroll. And John is upset by this. He's seeing this and he, he's weeping over the fact that nobody is, worry, is worthy of taking the scroll and the deed to the earth. There's nobody around. And one of the 24 elders looks at John and he says, Stop weeping. The lion of the tribe of Israel, he's worthy. The lamb that was slain, he's worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of Judah. You've heard that term before. Did you really know what it meant? The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy to open the scroll, the deed to the whole earth. He's the one that Jacob is talking about right here. The, to whom the scepter belongs. And he says he's, he's wearing a, a robe that's dipped in the blood of grapes. Do you know why it says that? Do you have any clue why it says that? If you read Revelation 19, 13, you can see that there is going to be one that returns on a white horse who is the word of God, the promise of God, and he comes back in a white robe soaked in blood. All of this stuff ties together. All of this stuff is so neatly tied together. And here it is. Jacob is not just looking to Jesus Christ, but through that he is able to see the final result, the end of the world, when God sets everything right. And through this, this lion of Judah, is able to reconcile the whole world and bring them to himself. 
finally able to make everything right and destroy evil for, for, its, for good. And you think your life didn't matter. And you thought that what you did didn't matter. And you thought that it just had to do with you and it didn't have anything to do with your kids or your great-grandkids or your great-great-grandkids. I want you to see beyond that. I want us to stop looking with this finite earthly mind and start having a heavenly mind where you can see eternity from the beginning to the end. we got to have that kind of look on the world. And when you change your perspective like that, you say, you know what? God is using me. I may seem insignificant or feel insignificant to myself, but I am not insignificant to God. When you have a, an eternal perspective, you go, man, it's got a lot more to do with me than what I ever thought it did. Do you see that? Has God revealed that to you through his word just now? That, that Judah's repentance and his obedience to God, taking ownership, what an impact this has had for all of eternity? It's crazy, right? It's crazy. We're going to go on and just, just read a little bit here. I want you to understand that, that each one of these tribes of Israel had different responsibilities, just like all of us. We, we've, we've got different places where we fit in in the kingdom of God that God's going to use us. Well, well, they've got different places too. They all get different responsibilities. Some of them are warriors. Some of, some of them are supposed to, to take out the enemy when God calls for it. Let's look. Zebulun will settle by the seashore and be a harbor for ships, and his borders will extend to Sidon. Issachar, a sturdy donkey, resting between two saddle packs, when he sees how good the countryside and how, is and how pleasant the land, he, he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor. Some of us got to be the pack mules. You know what I mean? Like if God's created us all in a different way, he's got a specific purpose for us. And it may not have been easy for, for Issachar to hear that, but, but that's, that's what God has in store. And I don't believe that any of these guys looked at their, their role in the kingdom of God and said, ah, I'd really rather be doing something else. Dan will govern his people like any other tribe in Israel. Dan will be a snake beside the road, a poison viper along the path that bites the horse's hooves so that its rider is thrown off. I trust in you for salvation, O oh Lord. So this break just in the middle here, for me, is actually right at the top of the page where it kind of, there's a break after Dan, and it says, I trust in you for salvation, O oh Lord. Look at, looking at the bigger picture and the fact that, 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 that all this is going to happen, and it's all about salvation for the entire world. Gad will be attacked by marauding bands, but he will attack them when they retreat. Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for kings. Naphtali is a, is a doe set free that bears beautiful lawn, fawns. Joseph is a, is a foal of a wild donkey. He gets to Joseph, right? We've been studying Joseph a whole lot here. He says, Joseph is the foal of a wild donkey. The foal of a wild donkey at a spring. One of the wild donkeys on the ridge. Archers attack him savagely. They shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained taut. 
His arms were strengthened by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the shepherd and the rock of Israel. May the God of your father help you. And may the Almighty bless you with the blessings of the heavens above and the blessings of the watery depths below and the blessings of the, the breasts and womb. May the blessings of your Father surpass the blessings of the ancient mountains, reaching to the heights of the eternal, eternal hills. May the blessings rest on the head of Joseph, who is the prince among his brothers. He, he was attacked. Maliciously attacked, Joseph was. But because of his faithfulness, you know what he did? Though his bow remained taut, is what it says. Though his bow remained taut, he didn't fire. He didn't fire back. That was not God's way. That was not Joseph's way. He just remained faithful to God. And because of that, God has used Joseph to rescue his brothers. Because of that... God was able to, to use Joseph to save the whole family of Israel. And all of this stuff happened as a result of his brothers being saved by him becoming second in command and him not having a heart of revenge and a heart of bitterness. Because of Joseph's faithfulness to God and said, this is what God has called me to. It doesn't look real pretty and it doesn't look real nice, but here is where I am. And God was able to use that. For these nations of Israel, it goes on to say, Benjamin is a ravenous wolves, devouring the enemies in the morning and dividing his plunder in the evening. These are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said he has told it and his sons goodbye. He blessed each one with an appropriate message. God was able to use Joseph to rescue the tribes of Israel. Tribes of Israel continued the message of God. They continued to bring the message of God to people. We get to read about what has happened to, to the tribes of Israel and how God used them. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. But I want you to take that broader perspective for just a minute and see how messed up these guys were and, and see how, how, how devastating that some of their thoughts and their actions really were. But because of the faithfulness of God, and because of the faithfulness of the brother that they hated, they were able to be rescued, and they were able to be used by God. The same thing for us. The same thing for us. There's one that rescues us, and his name is Jesus Christ. And God is able to use us. When, when, when we're able to be rescued by Jesus Christ, God is able to, to use us. But some people don't want to be rescued. They don't want to turn over and say, God, I'm guilty. They, they don't want to repent is that big churchy word which just means to turn away from the old ways and turn towards the new. They don't want to do that. And because of that, because they won't repent, they can't be used of God. Joseph was able to rescue all these people. His bow remained taut. Don't we deserve the wrath of God because of our sinful nature and the things we do to break the heart of God? Isn't that what we deserve? And at any second... The, the, the word of God could unleash his wrath on us through Jesus Christ, but his bow remains taut. And he's ready, but he doesn't. Because he's the shepherd, he just takes care of the flock. And what goes on to happen? Do you recognize that, that these tribes of Israel, the, these, these sons of Jacob, they, they, they're, they're in the kingdom of God in such a way that God uses them, and their names are actually written 
on the gates of the new Jerusalem, when God comes back and sets everything right, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, and there's a new city, and it's called Jerusalem, and the names of each one of these tribes of Israel are actually written on the gates. If you don't believe me, go look at Revelation 21.12, and you can see where I'm saying it's true. The, the names of the tribes of Israel are actually written on the gates to the new Jerusalem. The, the, the disciples' names are written at the foundation. The disciples' names are actually written at the foundation. And God is able to use these men, these messed up men. They wanted to kill their brother. He's able to use them to carry the message of God for, <laughs> for us to read about. And we just want to glance over this passage of Scripture because it's the last part of Genesis and it takes too long to read. And we got to recognize, man, what God is doing through these men. we got to recognize what God is doing through us and it just doesn't end with us. It's so much bigger than what we can see. It's generation after generation after generation that we're impacting. It says the end of chapter 49, it says, Then Jacob instructed them, Soon I will die and join my ancestors. You know what he's looking at? You know, you know what he's looking at? He's looking at the guys that went before him. He's seeing the legacy that they left, and now he's in the position that he's in, and he, he's saying, I will die soon and join those that have gone before me. He's got an eternal perspective. What about the people that have impacted you? Some of them were messed up, weren't they? Some of them were really messed up. Some of them abused you when you were little. Some of, some of them did some bad things to you. And God gives us the opportunity in obedience to him to kind of turn the tides a little bit and say, you know what, I don't know what my ancestors have done, and, and part of the reason I am the way that I am is because of the people that have gone before me, treated me the way that they did. And some of you have a godly legacy. Some of you ha have, have pastors that are granddads and great-granddads or fathers, and, and they've poured into you. And, and part of the reason that you're a Christ follower today is because of the godly legacy that they have lived. When you have an eternal perspective, you don't just look at what is to come, but you look backwards and go, you know what, everything that I am today is partly because of what has happened to me. And God has used all of that to bring me to this point. And we say, it just started and ended with us. It just started and ended with us. He says, I'm going to join my ancestors. Bury me with my father and my grandfather in the cave of the field of Ephron the Hittite. This is the cave in the field of Mechlephah near Mamre and Canaan, that Abraham uh, brought from Ephraim the Hittite as a permanent burial site. There Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried. And there I buried Leah, one of his previous wives. This is the plot of land in the cave that my grandfather Abraham brought, bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished his charge to his sons, he drew his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and joined his ancestors in death. What's the big deal? What's the big deal about? I mean, it's it, it kind of weird. Isn't it kind of weird how God would say he, he put his feet in the bed? Like, that's weird to just throw in there. Why would, why would he say that he put his feet in the bed and then he died? 
I, I, think, I think based on what I see here is that this is an indication of him doing something under his own power. He didn't just die and fall on the floor. He wasn't sitting in a rocking chair and just passed away. In obedience to God, he gave up his life and said, you know what, I have completed the task that has been set before me. I have passed the torch on to my sons that will become the tribes of Israel. I, I have done my job. And if you look at what his job was, man, it was to have a godly legacy, but really all Jacob saw was, was, was him, him following in obedience to the father and his, his sons getting some food and, and him telling them that, that, hey, this is where we're going and, and, and your brother Joseph is there. He thought his son was dead. He turns out he's not. I mean, Jacob hadn't really seen a whole lot happen besides the fact that his family's been rescued and God has given him through the power of the Holy Spirit this vision of what is to come. So he said, my job is complete. What job, Jacob? What did you do, man? You didn't even do a whole lot. And he's looking at his sons and he's saying, my job is complete. And he says, he pulls his feet into the bed and he breathed his last. And then he went and he joined his ancestors, the ones that had come before him and poured into him. He has done his job by pouring into those that will come after him. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And you thought that it was just about you. And you thought your actions didn't matter. And you thought that what you did wouldn't have an impact on anybody else. It matters. It matters. From an eternal perspective, it matters. And it matters not just for you. Yes, we want you to get to heaven. Yes, we want you to be there with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Yes, we want you to experience the glory of God. And we want you to see when the, the scroll is opened and the lion of the tribe of Judah is able to take the whole deed to the earth. Yes, we want you to experience that. But we also want your kids and your, ki your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids to experience the same thing. That's why your life matters. This is about a legacy. This is about what God is doing through you to impact all of eternity. So repent. Trust in God in obedience. Take responsibility. Be a leader in your family because your family may be used of God to impact generations to come. That's the reason it's important. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. God, sometimes we feel so insignificant and so small in this world, but Lord, if, if we really take a good look at a godly legacy that we're supposed to leave, God, we can see nations impacted. We can see, we can see our families just beyond what we can recognize right now, our families and how they'll be used of God. So help us to see that it's not just about us. It's about those that we pour into. For some of us, it's our families that we pour into. For some of us, it's students that we pour into as their leaders. It's young children that we pour into in the children's ministry. That's when we have one, and that's why it's so important. Help us to see beyond ourselves. Help us to see from an eternal perspective, Lord Jesus. Help us to see things as you see them. God, there are some that are in this building that are under the sound of my voice that God they're, they're on the fence they, they don't know if they're a Christian or not they don't really know what it means to be a Christian God I pray that they would not, not live in that place any longer 
that God, you would convict their hearts and open their eyes that Jesus is, is, is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And, and God, it's not just important for them. It's important for the legacy that they will leave behind when they leave this earth. Lord Jesus, correct us, instruct us, and may we be obedient to you as we repent and as we take ownership. God, we do so love you. We want you to be glorified in our lives. God, help us to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, please stand.